0: Our scripture reading is from the book of James, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26 from the New International Version. You can follow along in your own Bibles or use the screens or the uh, printed sheets. James chapter 2, verse 14 to uh, 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that such a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The word of the Lord. I am happy this morning to introduce to you our guest speaker for today. Uh, Mark Meredith is a good friend of mine, and we've sort of been in each other's circles for years now. Uh, He's a senior pastor of Pine Lake Covenant Church over in Sammamish. And uh, I've preached there, and now this is Mark's turn to be here with us. And I want to just say two favorite things, my favorite things about Mark. The first is that he's a fellow church planter. He planted a church in Eagle River, Alaska, did really well. Uh, and uh, he also is an avid reader. Mark reads about a book a week, 50 plus books a year. Uh, I started keeping track this year. I'm at number 27. So he's doubling me. But uh, I love and fear meeting with Mark because I like spending time with him, but then I go home and I have homework to do. So this is Mark. Thanks, Peter.
1: Well, you know, the Hardy Boys, it's not that big a deal, you know. Um, you know, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, did you know that? Well, you know, yeah. You can, I heard you clap, yeah, Peter. Yeah. I I have, a, uh, we came about two months apart in 2012. Uh, I've made to some Amish Peter here, and so... Uh, we've, we've had a, a, a good friendship, and it's wonderful to have people that you walk through life with. So, I want to give you a little bit of my story and tell you why this place is special to me, and then we're going to get into to God's Word. But you need to hear, I think, a little bit about who I am. I grew up in Olympia and uh, w- went to the University of Washington. And uh, blessed be the Huskies, we know that, yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry if you're not that way. But... Um, <laughs> And then, uh, in uh, after after college, my my family had a business here on Mercer Island, and I lived on the island, and worked on the island for two years. And in that second year, I came to faith in Christ. Now, I don't. That's a whole another story. But I want to tell you what why this place is special to me. So, about six weeks after coming to Christ, it was that was on uh, October. Uh, first of 1977, I was f- f- floundering. And have yet, you know, do we all know what spiritual floundering looks like? You know, look at your own scrapbook, and you'll figure it out. And I was just getting started, not getting a lot of traction. And so I was in the. Um, we had a store over here in in the shopping center. Those of you who remember, my last name is Meredith. If you remember that name, yeah. Well. Some, and, and by the way, some people come up to me years later and say, you know, I used to shoplift at your store. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're absolved of your sins, you know. But I, in the, it was in the afternoon. It was Thanksgiving Eve of 1977, and uh, I had heard about this church, and I called up over here, and I, I got Bud on the phone. And I, I basically said I, I'm new. In, I'm a new at this thing called Christian, you know, and I don't know what to do. And he said, "Come over right now." And I did. I came over right now, and that was in that afternoon. And I think that night, this is what I remember, Bud, is that it was the tenth, a celebration of your ten years being here. At that point, so this is a Bud had hair then. I mean, it was a long time ago, and uh, I think it was. I think it was real hair. I'm not sure. <laughs> think about it. But anyway. Um, he, he welcomed me into into Christ in a way that had not yet happened and it was just a beautiful thing and then he welcomed me or invited me into this thing called the covenant and here I stand you know it's kind of amazing and then uh, six weeks so this is that's number one thing and then t- six weeks later right back there in that room I don't uh, it, my, I met my wife in there there was a Sunday school class for adults and um, well she wasn't my wife when I met her but she became my wife right and she became my wife right here. Like, I was standing here. I think I see my footprints. And she was standing right over there, and we said these words. And this last week, on the 27th, Thursday night, we celebrated 37 years. And anyway, all of that. And, and if that's not enough to make me welcome here, I can go. I'm going to really go here. But uh, in... Uh, my mom was actually raised on Mercer Island. Luther Burbank Park was at one time a reform school for, for boys, and her dad was one of the uh, leaders of that. So uh, that yeah, so th- those roots go, go really deep. In between, so got married here in 79, went then back to Olympia, and uh, I ended up buying out my, my dad's business, and we developed that through the 80s. And then 1990, I went to Regent College up in Vancouver, came back into the business for a few years, not sure what was next, and then planted the church in Alaska. We were there 17 years, and those were great years. But good to be back here. All right, so where my story intersects with James, and if this is where we're going, is that when I was an atheist at the University of Washington, uh, and and then, I mean, I really was. I mean, I was not just an agnostic. I was a committed non-believer. And uh, how, I, how I walked towards faith was through people like you who believed and who lived it out. They didn't just say they believed, but they, they lived it out. And what it said to me is if I ever do you know, sign up with Jesus, I want it to be the real thing. I want it to be authentic faith that is lived out faith. And, I, and do you have an appetite for that? You know what I'm talking about there? Because you know, am I, what, what happens on Sunday has got to be you know, throughout the week, that kind of thing. So, you guys have been in this book of James, but doesn't James kind of have that voice about him, you know? And uh, so, we're going to look at that a little more deeply this morning. Um, There's this gap that I uh, like to call it a gap between how we project ourselves and the the real us. And where, where that gap gets revealed is in our actions. So, if we believe something and we say something, how does it look when we look at our calendars? If the Bible, how does the Bible line up with your checkbook, with your calendar? That's where James goes. You got you're you're proving that it's real. You're proving that it's authentic, or you're proving that it's bogus. You know, those are your two things, to one degree or another. And most of us, you know, it's not all uh, one or the other. But uh, there's a tension we got to identify here. And if I could get that first slide up there, between Paul and James. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a long history between Paul and James and people who like to uh, point to apparent contradiction, allegedly, and we're going to deal with that. So Paul says in Romans 3.28, We are justified by faith alone, apart from observing the law, or apart from works, is how he would say it. James says, a person is justified by what they do and not by faith alone. And so we are justified by faith alone or not by faith alone. If you underline those two phrases, they seem to be in contradiction, do they not? I mean, just looking at face value. So that's the the tension that we've got to wrestle with. And uh, we'll do that. So let's go ahead and get the next slide. Uh, James' vocabulary, if you've noticed this, he's rather verbish as opposed to nounish and uh, he takes faith as a verb, it's it's, it's who or what we actively trust in. And so you can, if you say you have faith, but you don't trust, you don't act on, you don't step out and put your weight down on that, then you are, uh, it's not real, not to James. And then the deeds or the works, these are the, it's the way we really live our days. It's what's recorded in your calendar of your life. And then let's figure out, James is not one to mince words, He says that faith without works, uh, what good is it? It's dead. It's useless. It's dead. He repeats himself a little bit there. But you kind of get, I mean, he doesn't leave a lot of room for wondering how he feels here. So, uh, and you probably have, you've been in this book long enough to realize that. So we're going to walk through these four uh, exhibits that he gives that were read for you. Exhibit A, B, C, and D. And we will flush out uh, some of this stuff, that uh, the, the faith works tension. Okay, so suppose uh, a brother or a sister comes to you, and they have a need, is what James says. They have a need, they, have, they don't have clothes, and they don't have food. And they come to you, and what do you say to them? You have the capacity to meet the need. You have some food, and you have some extra clothes. And you, have, you say you have faith. You have uh, a faith, and you feel compassion for them. You feel empathy for them. You you have a a warmth inside of you for them, but you don't do anything. You just don't do anything. Other than to say to them, "Um, I feel your pain. I am praying for you. I'm pulling for you. Life will get better. You throw some cliches out there. James says, then you have not proved your faith. You have proved that you don't have authentic faith. You have bogus faith. It's, it's, you know, it's going to get harsher here as we go on, but this is his basic point. Now, I just want to make a parenting application here, and this comes out of my own life. We have three boys, and they're all in their 30 to 35-ish range now, and they're all... As best as we can tell, and I always say that because i don 't you know they 're not there to watch all the time like they once were, and of course that was <laughs> never the case anyway you know but um, but they 're walking with christ and if you were to ask them any of them why they 're walking with christ they 'll give you some reasons but uh, they'll, and they'll say some nice things about how they were, you know, brought up in the church, and they had Sunday school, they had confirmation, they did awanas, and all of that stuff. But if you want to get them to their to the hot button of why they're following Christ, it's because they saw whether you know it wasn't perfect, but. And Patty and I, they saw a living faith. They had uh, other adults in their lives where they saw a living faith where they didn't see this big gap between what people say they believed and how they acted. We had homeless people living in our home. We had people from other countries living in our home. We did the best we could to introduce those people to the person of Jesus Christ. We, we, we tried to live it out. It was in our calendar and in our checkbook. And that's what makes sticky faith in kids. Now, yeah, now what we're doing now with kids in Sunday school, that's all good too. But without those actions that back up what we say, it's dead faith. So that, that's James's point here. And if you want to have kids that follow Christ, and there's no guarantees in this world, we all know that, but the best thing you can do, the best move you can make, is to live it out. Exhibit A. Exhibit B, verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. So it's kind of a, kind of a separation here. Someone will say, uh, I've got faith, you've got the deeds, we're both good. And, and James is going to say, no way, no way. And then he calls in an example that's rather extreme, and he says, you know what? The demons believe rightly. They have orthodox faith. They believe in the one God. So how are you doing compared to the demons, you know? Well, that's kind of a low standard, you know. How do you, you know, think about it? I don't think I'd want my faith to be compared with the demons, but then and they shudder when they re- they believe in the one God and they shudder, but you're not even shuddering. The point is that you can't. The demons are really good at separating belief and actions. That, in other words, is I hate to say it, that gap, it's kind of demonic. That's it's it's a strong word that he's, it's really strong. So. As we think about our American situation, uh, 90 some percent of people say they believe in God, and I I am grateful that they say that, but you know, when you're given a a poll uh, response, Gallup poll thing, and you have two options, I believe in God and I, I, I don't believe in God, unless you really, really are clear that you don't believe in God, which one are you gonna check? I mean, you know what the right answer is, right? The right answer is, I believe in God, just like the demons, right? Yeah, it's not good. So there's this thing called the halo effect that uh, has been written about. The halo effect is basically when people are asked questions in polls, they think about what the right answer should be, and they kind of lean into it. How many Sundays a month do you go to church? Oh, three or four, you ask, you know, look on their calendar It's maybe one, you know, that kind of stuff. Your doctor, it's the same thing when you go to the doctor and he asks you, how many cheeseburgers do you eat every week? And you say, oh, maybe one. And you look in the calendar and there's, you know, Burger King, there's, there's charges every day in the uh, checkbook to it. Or how many times you've been to the gym to work out. And you know, it's just, we, and I don't even know if we know we do it. We just sort of lean into the best answers. It's not good. And the, and the, and the worst ex- example from history, of course, is Nazi Germany. Do you know most Germans believed in God during those years? And look at the demonic activity that was going on all around. When you separate belief from actions, it's demonic. Okay. Exhibit B. Then we go to exhibit C. And he's going to pull out the heavy artillery here. He's going to talk about Father Abraham. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac up on the altar? That's a reference to Genesis 22, one of the, uh, the great passages of the Old Testament, and it's a reference to Isaac being offered up on that mountain, in, which is now right around Jerusalem, and Abraham was told to offer up his son Isaac there. Your son, the one you love, your only son, go offer him up there, the one you've waited 25 years for to have a child. How could he do that? And he does it, he offers him up, and of course, there's a provision made by God in the last moment where he doesn't have to do the deed. But he was willing to do the deed. And why is this story in the Bible? It's a great mystery that has puzzled both Jews and Christians throughout the years. But but at least the Christians can say it prefigures that God himself offers up his own son whom he loves on that very same mountain in Jerusalem. But how did Abraham process that? And the New Testament in the book of Hebrews tells us he processed it in a way that inside of himself he was saying, I know that God could raise this son of mine from the dead if I do the deed. So he has faith, and that's what's counted to him as righteousness. He acted upon the belief. And if he had gotten to that mountain and not acted upon it, in, you know, if he had just kind of gone through the say I believe in God but not really willing to do it, that wouldn't have been if Moses had gotten to the edge of the Red Sea and refused to put his foot in the water. You know, it's, when, it's just in that moment. That's when faith becomes real, not any earlier. Not any earlier. Not a moment earlier. So you see that faith and actions coming together in Abraham's story. We read on verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Do you know, let's, let's deal with this Paul-James tension here for a minute. Paul says, now this is, this is one of the great verses, I think, in the New Testament. Galatians 5, verse 6. Paul says, the only thing that counts. Okay, when somebody says the only thing that counts, you want to listen up to what comes next. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Make that connection And you got it. Faith expressing itself in love. On your calendar, on a Monday, Tuesday, whatever. That's what makes faith come alive. It's all that counts, Paul says. Now, uh, James has uh, uh, a different way of coming at it. So if I'll use these words, and hopefully you'll... You can understand what I'm saying, but James starts with ethics, in other words, how we live our lives. James will start look, by looking at your calendar. I wonder if this person is a Christian, and he'll look at your calendar or your checkbook, and he'll, he'll see things there that, that would prove that you are or you aren't. And then he would, by what he sees there, he would go to the conclusion that your theology is either right or it is wrong. Your theology, if, it, if things look good here, then that shows that you have a living faith. Paul begins with living faith. He tells you who you are, and we need to hear that too. And he tells you what Christ has done for you, and then he uses that word, therefore. How many times do you find that in the New Testament? Therefore, live this way. They just come at it from different directions. There's no contradiction. So here's my down-to-earth. James would really love this analogy, I think. Uh, I don't know about Paul. Paul. But um, we had our grandson recently for 10 days. He's one year old, and his parents went to Europe. And uh, we uh, should get some kind of medal, I know, but uh, it was fun. It was really, really, really fun. We had withdrawal symptoms when he left, that kind of fun. However, in the midst of that, I had certain times where Patty was not going to be around, and I. Started thinking about this. Do you know it has been 30 some years since I have changed a dirty diaper. Not just a diaper, but a dirty. I could give you more graphics. Diaper. So it was a Saturday morning, and she was gonna. She had something, you know, big plant, and and uh, I uh, there I was, and you know I started to smell something. There I was. So uh, now I'm thinking. Okay, now what? Pastors, you know, we lead interesting lives. We're always <laughs> looking for this Ill- kind of illustration. Well, there it was, right there. And I think, I, so I'm looking back on that, I think, well, what would Paul do? Paul would say, you know, this, I'm not sure Paul would do any of this, but Paul would say, I think, I love, this is my grandson. I love I, did, I loved his dad. I love him. Therefore, therefore, I'm going to change this diaper. Okay? James would say, Something stinks in here. Something really doesn't smell good. And he would just get in there and get his hands dirty. And as he's doing it, he would say, "Oh, I just love this kid." They're coming at it from two different ways. Now, me, I would say, let's just wait till Patty gets home, right? <laughs> I did it. I did it. But the point is that James and Paul are not coming at it from different places. They just have different starting or they have different starting points but they're not saying anything different. you got to connect them. Paul's big on that too. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Okay, the fourth exhibit that Paul, and the last one, is in the same way was not even Rahab. So he uses not even Rahab, the prostitute, found in the book of Judges or Joshua, considered righteous. So she was a prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and, and sent them off in a different direction. She hid them in her house. And by the way, James is, is oftentimes accused by those who side with Paul as being a moralist, meaning somebody who is trying to do enough good things to impress God, to be accepted by God. And if he's trying to do that, it, why bring in a prostitute? I mean, you use the patriarch who wasn't perfect, by the way, but now a prostitute So it kind of uh, defeats that argument. He talks about Rahab, and the Bible, the New Testament talks about Rahab as a person of great faith. You know, she only had a rumor of who God was, and she based her life decision, her very life, on that rumor. That's faith. And God came through, and she what what if she had just said, you know, these these Jewish boys, they're kind of nice, I kind of like them, uh, you know, I feel your pain, you know, I'm praying for you. But she, again, she connected that little bit of faith that she had with an action in her life and she is held up as a great woman. Beautiful stuff. Okay, so there you go. I hope I have made sense out of this tension that we have maybe felt here. Can I get the the slide up there again? So um, one more thing, that a word in here that James uses. It's the word justify. So we've had the faith and the deeds or works, but now the word justify. When Paul talks about justify or being justified, he's talking about how you, your life is justified before God. I mean, you know, the real you before the real God. I mean, what are you going to do when you come to that place? the real you before the real God. And, and are you going to say, well, I, I tried hard and all of that. And you know? And, and Paul gives us just a beautiful answer that let Christ fill that for you. Let him clothe you with his righteousness there. Now, when James uses the word justify, he's not talking about you being justified. He's talking about your faith being justified by your actions. And so we... We, if we don't qualify the uses, the different uses, the way Paul uses it from the way James uses it, we're, we're going to hear it wrong. You are, James would agree, you are justified in Christ. But let's make sure that, that that's real, that, that faith thing is real, and we make sure it's real by looking at how you actually live out your life. Now, we know that we don't. none of us here live it out perfectly, and that's the best... In other words, we can't justify everything about ourselves. None of us can. It's just, it's just a part of life. And here's the deal. Neither could Paul nor James. These are not perfect people. We know that they had skeletons in their closet and because the scriptures record them. We know that Paul was one, at one time a murderer of Christians who had to get that, conscience, that part of his conscience cleaned up. Who's going to do that? You can't do that on your own. And we know that James was one time a a non-believer in his half-brother Jesus. I mean, who's going to... I mean, you know, we have evidence maybe of, of, you know, how brothers do. They mock each other. They tease each other. And there was some of that going on. And by the way, who'd want to have to live up to big brother Jesus? So there had to be some jealousy there, all that kind of stuff, and sibling rivalry. But James had a lot to... You know, account, be accountable. For. He, so Paul tells us actually in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he went to James and he graced him. I mean, we, we just, I'm reading between the lines, but just like with Paul was graced on the road to Damascus when Jesus met him there, James was graced. Now graced means to cover that gap in your life that you cannot justify on your own. I mean, it's just the ugly stuff that only Christ can deal with. And James knows that for himself. We are, I mean, we are in need. Back to the, if I can use the diaper illustration again, we need to be changed. Let's just leave that at that. We need to be changed. And how do we get changed? How do we get changed? We get graced. So I'm taking us back to Paul here because it's foundational. Allow the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to seep into the deep, dark places of your heart where you know there's gaps, and that becomes the rocket fuel for those actions that you know God wants you to do, to make your faith authentic. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are always inviting us always inviting us into a deeper walk with you, always inviting us to be cleaned up, always inviting us to be graced by your presence, by your activity in our lives. So Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, be here now. We give you permission, we allow you, we have no choice but to allow you to open our hearts. Well, we do have a choice. We can try to justify that gap on our own, and it doesn't work. So, uh, Spirit of God, penetrate those places of our heart now. Grace us, Lord Jesus, with your presence, with your power, with the promises that you have made for us for the future. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.